Want to avoid getting ghosted by your prospects? We've all been there. We're having what we think is a great conversation with a potential buyer and out of nowhere, they just stop returning our calls, emails and LinkedIn messages. I'm joined today by Richard Harris. He's founder at the Harris Consulting Group. He's a sales legend. He's breaking down with us his neat selling philosophy. He shares some awesome breakup emails to get back in touch with those prospects you thought were long gone. Plus, we'll talk about how to avoid the dreaded think it over at the end of your demos or presentations. And Richard shares how he's utilized partnerships and digital marketing to scale his own business with plenty of actionable tips. Let's jump straight into it. Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips, insights to help you skyrocket your own business. Richard, a very warm welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. No worries, dude. So as always, excited to chat with you all things sales, business growth, and digital marketing. Um, But before we get into the ins and outs of why you started your company, how you've built it up to where it is today, it'd be great to get a bit of background on you, sir. So learn a bit more where you grew up, some of the key businesses you've worked at, and if you could share a couple actionable tips you picked up along the way in terms of sales, could be business, could be marketing. We'd love to hear it, my friend. Yeah, no worries. Whatever. I mean, I I think the most important thing that we get across to to the listeners is um, really how badly the USA beat the UK in our little sales throwdown, right? Like, and I, and I know I'm, I'm bringing this up just to- You had to do it, didn't you? I have to, man. Like, I can't not do it. Um, if, if folks don't know what we're talking about, a few months ago, a bunch of folks from the US, a bunch of folks from the UK got together and we decided to just have a, a fun throwdown of sales advice. So uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was all done with, with good intentions. And if you haven't, had a chance to check it out please do because there's a ton of great advice not just from sam and not just from me but from a ton of people all over the world so it's, it's a fun one anyway so that's our shameless plug and my poke in the eye to to my good friend sam here so um. <laughs> <laughs> all right so where do you want to start sam sure thing so i'd love to learn a bit more about kind of yourself how you first got into the business and sales world richard so maybe share with us your first ever role um in sales or business in general that's, that's going to be slightly relevant to us. And then if we could jump on to a couple more later experiences where you perhaps yeah. picked up, picked up some, some tips. It could be a sales tip, could be a marketing tip, whatever you want to share with us. I yeah, think you, you've got into your current business. Yeah. I mean, if we go way back, you know, my first job in sales and it was actually my first job was at the gap in retail. And oh, nice. So, yeah. So that was my first, you know, taste of sales and making money and spiffs and, just having a job. And so I was about 15 or 16. I think it was 16 when that started. And, um, and you know, we, they had a sales process. Like they, they, it was called Gap Act, G-A-P-A-C-T, right? Greet, approach, product knowledge, add on, close, and thank you. And that was, you know, that was my first sales process, right? It was never defined as a sales process as they taught. It was just sort of like, this is how we do it. Um, but it's clearly stuck with me, right? And it's left an impression of, of, understanding the value of a process as i've matured i realized that you know retail is inbound marketing and inbound leads not outbound cold calling so 
it's a difference. Um, you, but you still have to run into objections of no thanks, I'm just looking, or you know, what do you do if you don't have the right size? And so there's a lot of business acumen there that, that for me was really good. Um, I always knew I wanted to be, yeah, go ahead. Retail's tough, right? Like my, one of my first roles was selling cameras, as I discussed with you guys a while back. It's, I never found it easy, man. I don't know what you thought, but dealing with the general public compared to selling in, inside sales over the phone, I found a lot more tough. Well, I mean, I was, I was a teenager, right? So let, let's be honest. I was, I was thrilled to be getting, you know, I got 30% off clothes and 50% off certain things every month. It's a good gig. Um, you know, I was working at the cool, you know, and keep in mind, this is 1985 and 86. So a while ago when, you know, the mall was the happening place and, you know, it was cool to be working there and the gap was a good, I mean, it's still a good company, but the brand was really huge and all those kinds of things. And they were still being innovative. And um, so it was a very different, it was a different time in terms of retail. For me, I found it very easy. I didn't find it hard, but I also think selling cameras is very different than selling a $10 t-shirt, right? Like, you know, it's, you know, people think a lot harder about the technology back as they do now. It was a tech sale as much as, you know, as much as it is a tech sale now, if you were doing cameras, what did you find so hard about? Well, it was more for me, not necessarily the product, but when I was doing um, retail, it was just the general public. I just found them in, I don't know if it's the same in the U S but this was back when I was about 18 years old. So going back about just over 10 years now, very, very rude. <laughs> so the way we were taught, we were never taught a sales process, you see, Richard. So you had the gap act. We were just yeah. told go up to a customer, ask them how they're doing. Okay. And, uh, ask them what they're interested in and that those kind of standard questions that anyone any sales clerk asks you that irritates the heck out of you because we know the instant response is i'm just browsing or i'm okay thank right. you right and right. most of the time and, it just pissed people off yeah and and again i also think it was that's the old school way of just go figure it out sam right sure uh, which does exist and still exists in today's inside world. What did you, I know I'm flipping it around, but you said you found, you found inside sales to be easier than retail. Why did you find it that way? Well, for me, I guess it's, it's because on my side, I'm more of an introvert. So I, although not so much in recent years, so the things like the podcast and meeting people and all this kind of stuff has helped me over years. So when I was a lot younger, um, I just, just prefer it, find it a bit more comfortable. Um, like, like talking to people over the phone, Zoom calls, it's just more suited to my style rather than face-to-face -face interaction and networking. I think it's just it. suited to my cool. personality type. Sure. All right, what do you want to ask me next? Now that sure. I, so let's, before I spoil your show. <laughs> now we flipped it. So back to, back to Richard Harris. We, we learned the Gap Act. So we learned that there's a, a thing called a sales process. So um, let's, let's move forward a few years, man. What was a, a next key experience for yourself and one of the roles that you took next that, that you could share with us. I mean, I, think, I, mean I like, you know, I've, you know, I've been in sales all along and, you know, even my parents said I was in sales as a kid and, you know, I was, I was hustling Jolly Ranchers at school. So oh, dude. nice dude. You know, <laughs> selling candy and not getting caught kind of stuff. So, um, so I've always sort of been that business minded. Um, but in terms of what I think this show's about, we'll, we'll fast forward to, I think my real, best SaaS experience was 2010, 11, 12, before I started my consulting uh, with a company called Mashery that did API management. So, you know, all that data that flows back and forth, you know, everybody knows, well, not everybody in our world seems to know what an API is, right? Um, 
and how the data goes back and forth. But back then people didn't understand it. It was just sort of coming to fruition. And so I was lucky enough to, to land a job with this company called Matchery. Was there about 18 to 20 months? And then um, right before they got acquired, I, I, was, I always sort of say I was line number, you know, 242 on a 40-line spreadsheet, right, of who was going to make it and who was not going to make it in the acquisition. They didn't need one more sales op, director of sales, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, which is okay. So they hugged me out the door. They did a really nice job and made sure I had time to figure out what I wanted. And then consulting fell in my lap. I had some people call and say, Hey, can you help? Can you help? And I said, sure. And the next thing I knew I was a business consultant. I called, I called John Barrows, who, you know, who was a friend of mine, still a good friend of mine and asked him what he thought. And he's like, yeah, go for it, man. You should do it. And, uh, you know, fast forward, that's where I am today. That's what I've been doing. And that's what I've been doing for the last uh, seven or eight years. Got it. Got it. So when you say consulting fell into your lap, do you mean that at that time people were already asking you for advice in terms of sales training, sales process and stuff like that? No, um, it wasn't even that at all. Like literally, okay. you know, so I was super nervous about, you know, today if I got laid off, I'd be like, or if I were looking for a job, I'd go to LinkedIn and I'd say, Hey everybody, I'm a free agent, you know, hire me. Right. And, uh, but social selling wasn't that back then. Um, at least, at least it was still too fearful in my mind to, to do those things. And so I, I was try I was struggling to find a job. I was interviewing, I was getting down to like the third or fourth interview and then they would always choose somebody else, which was really weird. And then someone called who did know me, who had been introduced to me to say, Hey, can you help with this? Would you be interested in a role? And I said, well, I'm not looking to, to take on a position in Austin. I wasn't going to move my family to Austin. And, um, and, and so I, I ended up saying, well, I could do this for a certain amount of time. And then I did it for a month and I was going to Austin every week. And then on my first flight home, the first week I sat down on a plane next to this guy who was, and, uh, turned out to be Nick Maida from main from Gainsight. And, uh, oh, okay. yeah. And this was literally when they were 15 employees. Next thing I knew I had a second client. So I had two clients all of a sudden each of them paying me for 30 days of work. So I had 60 days of work and I was making in 60 days what I could make in six months. And I'm like, okay, is the world telling me something? So I picked up the phone and I called John and I talked to my wife and we, you know, we just sort of never really looked back. Interesting. So that's, how, okay. that's, how, so that's what I mean. It fell in my lap. I did not go out looking for it at that point. Yeah, that makes sense. So you had people in your network that were kind of asking you for help and then the work started to, yeah. to come in. So in terms of growing your business, Richard, is that always how it's, how it's been the way? Or on this show, we're always interested to take the angle of um, the strategies that have helped you scale the business to where it is today. So whether you've had inbound through digital marketing, um, if you could talk to us about some of the channels that have worked for you, or whether yeah, a lot so of the, the new business was outbound. A little bit was outbound. So what ended up happening was that once I started consulting, I started writing stuff on LinkedIn. And I started commenting very specifically on, you know, they're, they're I mean, they're still existing, but they're channels on LinkedIn and groups that LinkedIn is now downplayed. But I used to go and comment on sales hacker stuff all the time with Max Altruler. And then I eventually met him at a, at a, at the sales loft for the very first Rainmaker. Um, and I just walked up to him and I said, Hey, I'm Richard Harris. I've been commenting on stuff and I just want to introduce myself. And I said, you know, if there's ever anything I can do to help, let me know. And he said, okay, great. And, he, and then like two months later, 
um, he was looking for someone to help, you know, handle these inbound leads at Sales Hacker. You know, people okay. come to Sales Hacker looking for, for sales training. And a lot of them are, you know, a lot of them are just individuals or, or single things, but there are definitely some great companies that have come from that. And so that helped my business. And then, then once we, once we, you know, created that agreement, that business arrangement, he's like, well, you know what, I'm going to start putting you on, you know, how would you feel about hosting some webinars? You know, that then puts me, puts us front and center and puts me out there. And again, that all came through. Right. So Again, I haven't had to do as much cold calling and hard closing like a lot of other businesses have. Um, I still do it to keep my skills up, to practice, to share best practices, but um, I don't know that it's required as much. Um, and I, so I think I came along, I think timing was just right for me. I came along before there were a lot of people, before there were as many people doing it. Um, and, um, and so it just sort of, like I said, it kind of fell in my lap. Like I didn't plan all these little things to start to happen. And then of course, one thing gets the next and people start asking me for more opinions. And, you know, so, so it just sort of built. So that, so my business was built on timing and being prepared for that timing as much as anything else. So, you know, um, so that, that's, that's the, the gist of my history. Awesome, man. So it sounds like it started from LinkedIn. You were engaging with specific types of content and then uh, Max over at Sales Hacker got you in, started sharing some, some leads for people needing sales training and it's grown from there. You've been on webinars and uh, got, got the exposure. And I yeah. guess people started finding out about what you, you were doing and wanted to learn more and it yeah. grew from there. I always, I always have, you know, I, and I still do have two parts of the business, right? I still have my Harris Consulting Group, which generates business, and I have stuff from Sales Hacker, which generates business. So I've been able to sort of navigate that in a, in a business-appropriate way. Um, you know, oftentimes when I'm doing videos and stuff, I'll say this is Richard from Harris Consulting and Sales Hacker and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I've got, a, I've got a new program coming out in the next week or two, um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm making sure that I say Richard from Sales Hacker and Harris Consulting Group. I, I, you know, Max has always been so good to me, so I always want to be good to him. And, you yeah. know, what do I care, you know, what do I care if it comes in through Sales Hacker or my direct business, right? It's still good business for me. Makes sense. And it sounds like a sound partnership. So is, is that the kind yeah. of thing that you recommend anyone in business looks to set up these kind of partnerships where you can align, share leads and... Yeah, absolutely. Flow? I mean... I also think too, um, you know, so I'm, I'm good friends with Scott Lees, who you know, and good friends with you. And I think the interesting thing is, is that we all get lumped together as sales trainers. But if you ever really sat down and created a comparison grid, we all do very different things, right? We all have our swim lanes. There's probably, you know, 75% of what we each do is very unique and individual to the way we do things. And then there's probably 25% of some overlap. I mean, that makes sense. Um, but there's definitely some very different things that I do than what Scott does, but people see us as sales leaders, the same thing with you and, and um, Costas and, and Barrows and, you know, all these, all these people, you know who they are. So, um, so yes, I think you do whatever you can to make yourself well known. Right. And I think that, you know, the best place to start is just writing stuff. The, the interesting thing to me, you know, this is, this is my biggest mistake probably. And it's a general lack of, it's a general problem I have all the time is I lack big picture vision. So if I'd have been sure. smart, 
back in 2012 or 2013, or after I was doing this for a year and partnered with Max, I probably should have written about, oh my gosh, how did I create some business from just writing on LinkedIn, right? I, I, I easily had the data in front of me and I easily had, you know, the ability to tell a story. I just sometimes lack that vision. And, and I've always known this about myself. Like it's just, for whatever reason, it's how my mind seems to work and I've gotten better at it over time. But I also know that I need someone else to help me see that. So I, I rely on Scott and I rely on John and I, you know, surround myself with smarter people than me to help me figure that stuff out. Right. So, yeah. And I think that's so important. I, I agree, Richard. I, like in our business web choice, I've, I've got two other co-directors so I can bounce ideas off them. And then I've got the network. A lot of guys I, I connect with regularly on LinkedIn and contacts mm-hmm. on Skype and stuff like that. So yeah, I agree. It's, it's really, really important, man. So um, what I want to talk about next is neat selling. So this, this is a process that, is this a process you formulated your own uh, sales, sales yeah. formula, sir? So I'd love to talk a bit, a bit more about that. And if you could share with us what exactly that entails and how that can help anyone that's not yet got their own process for selling. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really call it a, a methodology or a process. I call it a philosophy um, because it applies everywhere. So I, I, you know, I work with a lot of clients and they're, they're entrenched in medic or medic or challenger. And oh, that's great. Like I don't need to come in and tell you to rip that out. Right. Um, and do mine. Mine enhances that. I have a couple of clients who've taken mine and actually built it into their CRM as a process and a methodology, but it's much more of a philosophy. Um, and it, and it's, it aligns with everything, right? So it stands for, the N is for need, qualifying need. The E is for economic impact. What's the economic impact of that need? Not the ROI. I don't do ROI. Then it's about access to authority because you don't ever really get to talk to the right person at the right time until the very end. And then it's still about timeline. And I, you know, I created neat selling. I was, I originally, when I thought about it and was working on it, I was going to call it Nate, right? Um, and create a little character named Nate. And, I, <laughs> and it was interesting because I thought, okay, so if I'm teaching this as a BDR, SDR role, it was, okay, you know, BDRs and SDRs should focus on need and what level of access to authority. Because that's about all they can control. And they're not going to get access to the authority. And then I just kept playing around with it and I came up with need. And then I came up with this little compass because I was like, oh, there's an N and an E. And I was trying to figure out how to make that look cool. And, and it became neat. And then it realized, then it started to look like a compass. And I realized that, you know, you don't have to go in any order. That's why it's a compass. So you can kind of, depending on where the customer wants to take a conversation, you can sort of, oh, you know, you had a big problem and it created some hardship. Okay. Well, we might be talking about economic impact first, right? Um, you know, so, it, so that's, that was the genesis of it. Right. And I wanted to differentiate myself from people. And I, um, so I ended up trademarking it and, um, it's just something I've been, you know, focused on. And I, again, where I lack vision, I've created this four or five years ago. I didn't start branding it as hard. I didn't have t-shirts for it. I didn't do anything until the last 12 months. So again, it's sort of like, you know, I did everything under the Harris consulting group, the Harris consulting group. And it's kind of like, I should have pivoted the company name four or five years ago. I think it would have actually driven more business, right? At this point, you know, I've been told that I, I kind of have to keep it as Harris Consulting Group as much as I hate it. I hate the name. Um, 
but that's how people know me. So you do what you do. Um, so that, that was the genesis of it. That's the story of it. Um, you know, and, and it's a differentiator, right? Definitely a differentiator and respect for setting up your own sales philosophy. So yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's interesting that you say a lot of sales processes, we've talked about processes many times in different episodes in the show, but a lot of them, as you know, have a fairly rigid structure. So let's take BANT, for example, uh, budget, authority, need, um, timeline, whatever. Um, And then we've got gap selling. Again, it's got kind of a set process. Sandler selling, it's got set process. So a lot of um, sales processes, or in your case, sales philosophies, has a set structure you've kind of followed. Yours, you said, it's like a rotating compass. There's no real structure. So the customer can literally start telling you something, and then you can still spin it back to, to where you need to go. So... Sometimes that's quite a tricky thing to do, especially when customers go off on tangents, uh, tangents, Richard, I'm sure you'll, you'll find when they just kind of want to spill all this stuff out and you've got obviously your own agenda that you want to control the conversation and you want to understand if they've got a pain that your product can fix. You want to understand if they've got a, a need for it, if they've got a timeline, if they've got a budget, if they're the decision makers. So how, how do you do all these things and not follow a, a rigid structure? Well, I th- so it's interesting. So, I don't think our prospects are going to say anything we haven't heard. If you've been in sales long enough, right? They shouldn't be saying anything we don't know how to respond to. So for me, it comes back to the discipline of, okay, if the prospect starts talking about this, these are the questions I want to ask. If they start talking about timeline, these are the questions I want to ask. If they want to start talking about access to authority. So it's about having greater, greater control because you can navigate the conversation strategically but you have to have done the discipline work to know how to do to know what questions you should be asking to know the pains of your customer better than they do so you can direct it in a direction that answers their questions honestly and truthfully that gives them a a, a certain level of control of the conversation but allows you to control the process right and so that's one of the ways to do it the other way is um you know i i teach people in a scheduled sales conversation even in a cold call you know, you, you do need to have what I call a respect contract. You've got to establish that you're on equal playing field with them as they are with you. And so I, I teach people what I call a respect contract and how to do that so that even from the get-go, I can navigate probably more towards need first, but if it doesn't come out as need first, then so what? I'm ready, right? Like I'm ready to go. So, you know. Um, okay. Can you and, give us a quick example of what a respect contract um, contract would sound like if you're talking to a prospective customer? Yeah. So um, before I do, I just want people to understand that this isn't about, this is about making sure you're not giving up the power, right? And making sure that you're willing to, to walk away as much as they are. And so it's, it's real, so, you know, it's Sandler did it as, as a upfront contract. I, I like that. It's how I, f- I first thought about it, but I just, I don't like this upfront contract thing. I don't like, it felt demanding in terms of the way they did it. And I don't know that they had the transition statement that I, I put in there and I've, I've stopped looking at it because I, I want to focus on my stuff, but it's, you know, Hey, it's confirming time, Sam, you know, got 30 minutes for the call. Great. In five minutes, I'm going to, you know, call a timeout. We'll just, you know, I'm sorry, with five minutes left, I'll call a timeout to see where we go. You know, Sam, you know, my goal of this conversation is just get a frame of reference for each other. Um, I just want to ask you some questions and, and answer questions for you and, and go from there. If you feel like it's never a good fit, Sam, feel free to say so. Like I promise you won't offend me. And likewise, if, if I 
can determine that I'm not going to help you, I'll, I'll be the first to say so. And I'll, I'll even direct you into, you know, other people I know in the sales training business. And they'll all agree to that. And I'll, you know, and I'll say, great, because I don't want to send checking in, following up and touching base emails that I know you don't want to get and I don't want to send. And they chuckle just like you did. Um, so now they're, they're, they've released positive endorphins in their brain. And then I just say, Sam, so aside from what you put in the email, right, uh, uh, needing sales training, what's really generating this conversation? And I'm off to the races, right? And that open-ended question now lets them choose you know, need economic impact, access to authority or timeline. And I can navigate back and forth. And then even beyond that is my respect contract. Whatever they say to me, and I do this all the time. You could say, hey, Richard, I've got a BDR team and they need better help. And I'll be, and I'll always say, well, what does that mean in your world, Sam? So my respect contract actually goes into qualifying which is way beyond what I think people do. It's this natural transition so that the contract is, you know, it's, it's kind of like it's signed, sealed and delivered. Once I start asking my second question, that's when I know I've got the, the ultimate level of respect. Love it. Love it. Huge fan. I mean, I'm a huge Sandler fan. I think most people listening to the show know that. So I often get stuck into talking about upfront contracting, but it sounds like you've got your own spin on that with your respect contract, um, contract, sorry, and, and framing conversations, which is great. Um, so yeah, I really love what you've just said there, man. Now, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, what you've just said there is you want, when you speak to prospects, you say like, I want to avoid the back and forth, the bouncing of emails, the forever being in voicemail jail, all this kind of stuff that no, no one in sales, no one in business wants to get stuck in limbo of not weighing, knowing where you are, not having their sales deals stalled. How do you avoid think it overs? Well, when I, a lot of when I, yeah, so, to give you some context on that. I mean, let's say you've had a great discovery call. You've set up a presentation or demo and you, you've even said at the start, like, um, let's say you've, you've set a, an upfront contract, you framed the conversation. You said, look, I'd love to go through this, this product with you today. Um, I'd love to go through the ins and outs, the solution, why it's going to attack your goals, X, Y, and Z. Um, if you feel this product's not a need for you or no, of no interest, um, please let me know. Likewise, if you feel it is, let's go ahead. But you do everything perfectly, and then they still say, I need to think about it. Yeah. Well, so here's the first thing. I think you need to change your mindset. Your mindset should be, you're never going to erase that. right? Your mindset should be that I'm going to reduce that from coming up as much as possible. right? And that's your goal, and that's your win over the long haul is making sure um, you know, I also think too, it also comes up with, you know, in my, in my respect contract where I talk about, Hey, I'm going to define five, I'm going to save five minutes at the end to determine next steps. Right. I literally put a timer on my phone for 25 minutes and I'll have it go off so that the prospect can hear it. And I'll go up, oh, we're at 25 minutes. Let's stop here and see what you want to do next. Right. Do you want to keep going? I can go through a few more extra minutes. Should we start talking about, let's talk about next steps. So I think the problem isn't, I think the biggest problem is people fail to confirm next steps. And it's so easy to actually do. What I want people to avoid doing is, is to be able to avoid getting to the last minute of the conversation and Sam, and I go, oh, Sam, you know what? We're, we're almost out of time. And Sam's like, yeah, I got to go to my next meeting. Uh, Richard, just email me on Monday and we'll set up the next call. That's the worst answer, right? 
So you have to build this timing in and you have to know what to say. You have to script this stuff out. And yes, I mean script, write it down, memorize it, know it word for word and say it till it sounds authentic. Tweak it till you sound authentic. So I'm a huge fan of scripts. Um, and that's what you do to, to try and prevent it. Um, I think I was one of the first people years ago to, to write about breakup emails and breakup email cadences and sequences. And so you have to have four or five or six breakup emails, which by the time you send your first breakup email, it's really the third or fourth time you're actually trying to get a hold of them. You've probably linked in them and, you know, you know, you've probably hurt yourself by saying, Oh, you've just seen where we are. Um, um, so by the time you start a breakup sequence, uh, you are, you know, you're into your third or fourth attempt to try and get them back on the phone anyway. So if you ever go, if you search my breakup sequences uh, you can, or breakup emails on online, you'll find them and you'll see that they progressively get um, irritable. My job at that point is to irritate them because I want to get a response. I don't mind. Like you're irritating the hell out of me. Like, you know, F you, right? I, <laughs> I do deserve a reply. I deserve the courtesy of a reply, even if it's no. And I'm going to be polite and I'm going to be direct. But at some point on the seventh or eighth time, I'm going to be a little bit more direct and just say, you know, I need to know what's going on. I don't want to hunt you down anymore. Right. And, you know, my, the one that gets the most shock when I tell people to send it is the one that's the subject line is the courtesy of a reply would be appreciated. I like that. Right. right? And people are like, oh. And I'm like, I think I should actually change it. The professional courtesy. And, oh, you know, and that's my third email in the breakup uh, cadence. And so, so again, by the time I've sent that, it's my third email in the breakup, but it's my sixth or seventh attempt to get them to respond. So yeah, I've earned the right to actually ask that question. Got it. Now, there's always, there's always some context and you need to do it the right way and you need to be mindful about it, but it works. And what, so, you know, like now I'm also in a, a, a unique situation. I can send that and if it offends somebody, whoop-de-doo. If I can offend that, if I send that and it offends somebody and they decide to tweet me, I'll go, I will easily respond and say something like, sweet, more fan mail, especially after I tried six other times to get your attention. Right? Like I will call them back out calling me out. So if you're a sales rep and you're thinking about doing this, be mindful to your company. Be mind. I know you got goals and I know you got hit numbers and those things. And you know, you know, the, the, and I'm just going to give this and then I'll stop talking to him. The other attempt, if I were going to switch that, the professional courtesy of a reply, I tell people to say status update request, please. That's a, that's a softer way to say the, uh, the same thing of like, hey, I'm just looking for a status update. Please tell me so I don't keep bugging you. Love it. Love it, dude. All right, we've covered some great points there. So starting with the respect contract, then making sure that you're setting some time at the end of your calls, your meetings, or your presentations mm -hmm. to ensure you discuss next steps. So in your case, setting up a timer 
So after 25 minutes, whatever it is, that's, that's a really nice idea. I'm actually going to try that. Get it up on your stopwatch. So you, you and the prospect literally hear the ding, ding, ding. Okay, it's time to talk about next steps. Should we carry on talking about this or should we send, spend some time talking about what's going to happen next? And then um, if, if there's no reply after a while, the breakup emails. My personal favorite, Richard, is actually one called Aliens. So the subject lines, all in capitals, Aliens. This is one I found on LinkedIn ages ago. And it's something like, um, hey, Richard, not heard from you from some time since your initial inquiry. Wondered if, one, you got abducted by aliens. Two, you no longer needed help, so I should stop bothering you. Or three, you wanted to pick up this uh, project on a call or email this week. Let me know. Something like that. That's, that's one of my best working ones, but I uh, appreciate your... Yeah, the jokey ones have run their course here in the States. Uh, yeah. I mean, now, if you have data that says that's still working, Sam, I'll, I'll obviously default to data. But the, you know, the jokey ones here started with you're being chased by a hippo, you're stuck under a vending machine. Um, you know, there's one, there's one that I would try um, um, is, is zombies, right? Like oh, I, yeah. to the alien approach, particularly with COVID. It's like, you know, seems like a lot of people have turned into COVID zombies. We totally understand. Please let us know. The good news is we know you're going to turn back into a human or something like that. Like you got to find the right way to say it, but that's, you know, you can do that. Yeah. Just, just go steady with those if you're a sales rep. Me and Richard are okay because we're, we're business owners, but uh, just, just go right. steady if you work for a company. Totally. Right. <laughs> be, be mindful that we were all, be mindful. We, Sam and I are very mindful that we can get away with things that others may not be allowed to or should exactly not try right. Exactly right, dude. Okay. So, Richard, for anyone tuning in that is thinking of taking the leap and starting their own company or anyone that's just started their own business, have you got any tips, any golden nuggets of advice or words of wisdom that can help them on their first days, few weeks or months that yeah, could, uh, so make it easier. One is take the leap. Two is, um, there's sort of two ways to do it. One is to sort of start on the side while you still have a job. Um, the other is, you know, like what I did where I got sort of forced into it on, even if it was unintentional. Um, so there's, there's, there's a, you know, it's mindful to say, hey, can I start this on the side as long as it doesn't violate your own current employment rules, roles. Um, so I'm, I'm cool with that. The other thing I would say is it's all early on, it's all about validation. So if you go and I, I need to redo my website, but if you go to my website, I have 20 or 30 pages, you know, tons of stuff I can SEO. My first website was literally five pages. It was a home page. I had a customer page that had two or three customers on it. I had a list of services page and I had a blog and a contact us page. That was it. It was a validation website. Validate who I, who you are as a human on the internet. And you could probably, and now with particularly the way websites are done, um, it's almost one page. That's just one big long scroll, which I hate that, but you know, maybe I'm just too much of a Gen Xer. It's not great for SEO either. What's that? It's not very good for SEO either. I'll just add yeah, that. Yeah, right. But, but to your point, when you're starting a business for the first three to six months, you know, your job is to just get clients, is to protect your own money and not spend a ton of money. Don't pay someone $20,000 to build you a website when you're just starting your business and you can get away with a validation website. Um, you can do a Wix. You can do a simple WordPress. Um, it doesn't need to be complex. It just needs to show that you're real. Then the next thing I would do is make sure you have a couple of referenceable customers. Um, I'm totally fine with people trading off uh, goods and services for the first two to three customers, as long as it's in your contract and they agree to do a use case or give you some quotes. 
right? You want to trade it off because that, again, that's a validation. It's social proof. And so I think those are the things you need early on. So. Nice one. Great tips. Great tips. Um, Richard, to wrap things up, is there yeah. one thing that people should be do, doing on digital marketing, any channel that's going to benefit their sales or their business from today? I mean, I still think it's social, right? I think you have to be connected to the most people on LinkedIn as you can be that are related to your business. Uh, I think for you and I, that's easy because it's salespeople, sales leaders. So that's simple. Um, and marketing leaders. Um, you know, if you're, if you're selling to lawyers and law firms, LinkedIn may not be the place, right? Try to figure out where the, you know, where the, you know, go fish where the fish are, right? Figure out where your fish are swimming and go fish there and try to be social and vocal about the topics. And, you know, as soon as you write about something three times and people see it, oh, this person knows what they're talking about. It doesn't take much, right? Um, so, you know, be your own advocate. That's the best thing. And it's free. <laughs> like, it doesn't cost anything. <laughs> I mean, there's a time cost. There's a time cost to it. But, you know, that's better than, you know, it, and it has a long tail play, in my opinion. So, Thanks very much, man. Richard, we'd like to oh, ask I got, everyone. I got one more tip. One more tip. Last tip, and, and it's something I didn't do, which I wish I had. And even John told me to do this, and I didn't, I didn't listen. Collect every email address you can appropriately as soon as you can, right? As soon as you start having conversations and emails, get them into your spreadsheet, your database, whatever you're using, because at some point you're going to start a newsletter and you need those emails. So that's, that's where I would do it. Nice one, man. Cool. Well, we'd, like, we'd like to ask everyone that comes on, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, having a positive influence on yourself and your career, Richard, who would that be and why? Who, who do I want to thank? Um, there's so many. All my business friends know who they are, so I'm not going to mention them. Um, it's backwards, so I'm going to thank my father. Uh, my father was not was not abusive or mean or an alcoholic or anything like that, but he just didn't pay a lot of attention to me. Um, and so I think because of that experience, I pay more attention to things in my life, whether it's my own kids or my own business. And so I sort of owe him credit for teaching me what not to do. <laughs> um, he also, uh, you know, he also was tried to be an entrepreneur and was not successful. So I got to watch that and learn from that. Um, and again, it's not in a hateful way. Like I don't despise my father. There's, there's no animosity there, but I think in a, in a, in a weird way, I learned how, what not to do from him in a lot of ways. And I think that that's, that's, that's probably the greatest influence. And, and that's, you know, you know, it, it, we always sort of want our fathers and parents to be proud of us and our mothers. And, and I know that in his way, he was once, once this, he passed away a few years ago, but he was, I know that he was proud of what I built. Um, and so I, I, you know, I owe a lot to him for that. And, and to my mom also, who was also a single mom, working mom, raising two kids and stuff like that. So, you know, I'll give it to my parents. Thanks, man. Well, Richard, tell us a bit more about how people can connect with you a bit more about your business and the best way yeah. people can reach out to you. Yeah. Well, the LinkedIn's always the fastest and easiest. Uh, well, that's not true. The fastest and easiest. And I do this all the time because nobody ever does it. My phone number is 415 596 That's my direct cell phone. You can text me, tell me that you spoke to me, that you heard me on Sam's show. 
Um, tell me what the best, what the funniest thing that I said and the funniest thing Sam said. Um, I don't know if Sam said anything funny though. Um, and there's my jab. There's, there's, there's my UK British sense of humor. Apart from everything I said. Right. So there you go. There it is. Well played. Uh, find me on LinkedIn, call my cell phone. My email is richard at rharris415.com. Richard at rharris415.com. Twitter's rharris415. So those are the places you can find me. There you go. You've been tuning into Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We find out their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your business. Richard, thank you very much, sir. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. Always good to catch up with you, Sam. And, and please be safe and stay well. Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities, all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.